going to read two sections of God's Word. First of all, in the book of John, in the the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We read verses 1 to 18, and then in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. So, John, chapter 10, reading from the beginning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. (coughs) The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then we turn to the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 23. Psalm number 23, Psalm 23 in the book of Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word.
Just turn again for a little to the chapter, well, the second reading we had in uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 23. And we'll look at the first two verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I'm quite sure that this is the best known of, of all Psalms. Probably most, maybe not all, but I would imagine most of you uh, learnt this uh, growing up as a, as a child. And uh, there maybe was a point in your life when you became, uh, you kind of dismissed the psalm because you, you say, oh, well, I know that one. But you know, as you go on and as you get older, you find that this psalm is in many ways uh, unbeatable. And uh, I would have to say, I don't know that I could put any other psalm above it. Other psalms, maybe verses here and verses there, but this psalm really is, <clears throat> is just quite an extraordinary psalm. It is so simple, and yet it is so rich uh, with teaching. Now, as we know, uh, the Bible often uses imagery, pictures of uh, what's happening in the world. Uh, the Bible often uses pictures of the land and pictures of the sea uh, to, <coughs> to teach spiritual truths. Jesus was always doing that uh, when he was here in this world. He was always using uh, pictures. Uh, he would give, illustrate, for instance, with a coin or with a fish or with the cornfields or with trees. With lots of things you find that Jesus was always illustrating. And this psalm is full, absolutely full of illustration. It was very interesting how many of the prominent people in the Bible were shepherds. Talks here about that the Lord is my shepherd. But many of the prominent people in the Bible uh, were shepherds. The very first martyr, Abel, was a shepherd. Uh, Moses, uh, remember, when he ran away from the palace in Egypt, and he became a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness before he led Israel out of Egypt. The man who penned this psalm, David, the great king, was of course the shepherd king. He was a shepherd before ever he became a king. And he understood what shepherding was about and was able to apply in a wonderful way the, the, the role of the shepherd uh, to the Lord. And of course, throughout the Bible, God pictures himself as Israel's shepherd. You will find that dotted right throughout the Bible. And Jesus, of course, when he came, he spoke about himself as being the good shepherd. Uh, Peter, in fact, talks about him as a great shepherd. And Jesus said that he was the good shepherd who had come uh, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus tells us that he is a good shepherd who lay down his life. He was the supreme shepherd. Uh, he couldn't do more than, than what he did. And of course, the wonderful thing that uh, as a, the shepherd of the sheep is that once you are safe within the flock of God's people, you are safe forever. big question you have to ask right now is, are you in that flock? Are you in God's pen, so to speak? Or are you still straying outside? Because it's a dangerous world. 
and it's a lonely world, irrespective of family and friends and whatever we have. If we're outside Christ, it's a dangerous world. And the Lord is inviting us to come in and to have him as our Lord and our shepherd. And it's a wonderful thing to have Jesus as our shepherd. Now David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's very definite. Uh, there's no sort of doubts <coughs> in David's mind. Because he states very categorically, very straightforward, the Lord is my shepherd. Now we've got to remember that Christianity is all about a relationship. A relationship that is built on love. And I suppose the great picture, the great illustration in the Bible of what it is to be a Christian is found in marriage. Uh, because so often uh, the Bible refers to uh, us as a bride of Christ. The, the people, the, 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 the church of God as a bride of Christ. And it would be a very strange thing in a relationship with a husband and wife if the wife was always questioning the husband and the husband was always questioning the wife as to whether they really loved them or not. There would be something wrong in that marriage, if all the time you'd be saying, I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if she loves me. It would be very hurtful, I think, to, uh, to, the, to one partner if that was the way you, you were to be. And that is often how we are before the Lord. Far too often we question his love. Uh, Christians will often uh, question whether the Lord really loves them or not. Now the thing is that once we become Christians, the Lord wants us to know of that love. Now of course we know that there are certain things that can come into our lives that can bring us to question. We know that if we stray off the path as we were talking to the children, going over the lines and not following the Lord's commands as we should, and we grieve God's spirit, we can lose a sense of that, that intimacy and his, his, the fellowship that we enjoy. The Lord will never turn away from us. The Lord will never abandon us. But we might not experience the warmth of his face if we are continuing on in sin. So sometimes like that we can end up questioning. And again, Satan will tempt us. Satan will often come and he'll say, what right do you have to say that God loves you? You look at the kind of person you are. You're full of sin. God could never love someone like you. When we have to go back to what the Bible says. And Jesus tells us that it is for sinners that he came. That's what you have to say. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. It's because I was lost. It was because I was a sinner that Jesus came to save me. And so being a sinner and being lost qualifies you to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we say, assurance is something that the Lord really wants for our lives. And it's also true that once we get to know the Lord, we want to know him more and more. You, as a believer, are never satisfied with the knowledge that you have of the Lord. However much you know the Lord today, you're always saying, Lord, I want to know you. 
I would like to know you more. The, the great example we have of that is the Apostle Paul. Few people in the Bible ever knew anybody as well, ever knew the Lord as well as Paul. Paul had, had amazing insights into the glory of God. Paul was transported, as it were, into the third heaven. He had visions and understandings. And yet his prayer is this, that I might know him. Now, Paul knew him, as we say, like few did. But the knowledge that he had of God made him want to know more and more and more and more. And that's a great evidence of being a Christian, that you're never altogether satisfied with where you are. You want to know more and more and more of the Lord. And that, of course, is going to be part of the wonder of glory, is that there's going to be this constant development and a constant growing and understanding because we will never throughout an endless eternity know everything there is to know about God. I believe that throughout eternity there will be an ongoing uh, discovery. Our knowledge will continue uh, to develop and to grow and to understand more and more and more of the Lord, although we will be made perfect in holiness. Now, <clears throat> that's part of the, the wonder of what heaven is going to be like. So often people ask, I wonder what, wonder what heaven is really like. Now the Bible tells us quite a lot about heaven. But there's so much we cannot understand because we live in a world that has limited dimensions and a world that has, doesn't have the freedom away from the laws of nature and we live in a world that is bound in time so that we, there's so much in a world that is filled with sin. So there's so much that although the Bible teaches us a lot, our minds can't grasp it. We, can't, we try to, but so much of it is beyond us. But we know that the one thing is that, that Jesus will be there. I'm sure you've heard the story of the doctor and the dog. There's a doctor and he had a collie dog. He always took the dog with him in the car wherever he went. It's a long time ago. And it was a sunny day and the window of the, the, the car was open and he went in to see a man who was very ill. And in fact, the man was dying. He was a Christian man. So he went up to the bedroom where the man was and he closed the door and he went in and he was sitting down beside him. And they were talking and the man, the doctor was a Christian and the man who was dying, they were both Christians. And the man who was dying said to the doctor, I wonder what heaven is really going to be like. And the doctor was thinking how he was going to answer that when he heard this scratching on the door. And he said to the man, you hear that scratching? That's my dog. Now, my dog has no idea what's in this room apart from one thing. He knows I'm in the room and that's why he's wanting in. And he says, that's all I can really say about heaven is that Jesus Christ is there at the centre and we want to go in to be with him. And we can be persuaded that the rest will be wonderful. And there's a, a lot of truth in that. It's what the Apostle said, that to depart and to be with Christ is, is far better. So here we have the Lord and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then it goes on to say, I shall not want 
And then verse 2 goes on to begin to describe to us some of the things that we have in order that we will not want. And it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the one thing that a shepherd or a crofter or a farmer cannot do is force a sheep to lie down. You can you can force sheep, yes, to lie down. If you're going to if you're going to shear a sheep, a sheep won't come up to you in a, in a sheepy way, kind of indicate I need a clip. You you and I know that we have to get get the sheep, manhandle the sheep, turn the sheep over, and it's by force that you have to do these things. It's the same if you're going to put sheep into a pen. You have to to drive them in. Supposing you supposing you you did get a sheep to lie down, supposing you actually turned a sheep onto the ground uh, and, and sat on it, the moment you'd get up, the sheep would get up as well. So how do we get sheep to lie down? Well, with the green pasture. Because if you take the sheep into a beautiful field with rich green pasture, the sheep will feed away and feed away and once they are fed and they're happy and content, then the sheep will lie down. That's a beautiful picture you have of when you see a sheep, a field full of sheep lying down. It's a picture of contentment and satisfaction because they're, 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 they're satisfied. And that's what the Lord does for us too. That he takes, that's how he, how he enables us to lie down. He provides for us rich nourishment in the word that's why we come here today we've come as it were into the gospel pen with the sheep in order that we may be fed we're taken into the fields these rich luxurious fields and the Lord is going to feed us and that's what he does he feeds us from his word and whether it's in the singing or whether it's in the reading or in the preaching you know, sometimes all we need is one word. Or sometimes we just need to catch one, one thing and we say, oh, you know, that's good. Got a little bite for my soul. Got a little something. And we should always ask the Lord every day, Lord, give me a portion for my soul. Give me something. Give me some nourishment for the day. And you and I know that there's nothing in this life thrills us. Like where God gives us a faith to lay hold upon his word where his word becomes living and alive and a rich in our experience. And you and I know times where we can be down, really low, and God's word comes and it lifts us up. It's better than any medicine. There's a, like there's a power in it and it brings an energy into our life. It changes us. And that's what, that's what God does through this feeding that he gives us. And that's why it's so important in this busy, busy world that we live in, where there's so many demands upon our time, that we take time every day to feed upon the Word, to meditate upon it. And uh, to meditate, and I've, I say it so often, it is far better to take a wee bit of gospel truth and to think about it and to pray over it and to have that for the day rather than reading huge sections. That's important as well, don't get me wrong. Because remember when Israel were going to cross the Jordan, the Lord 
through Moses, told them very simply, very clearly. And he said this, You shall meditate upon my law day and night. And if you do that, and you're careful to do all that is written in my word, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Isn't that wonderful? So that, in, in many ways, or not in many ways, the way, is the key to life, is meditating upon God's word. And what we learn from it as we meditate upon it, practice it in our lives, live upon it. And if we do that, then the Lord says, I, I will make your way prosperous and I will give you success. I will lead you on in a way where life will will work out for you. That doesn't mean that every single day everything is going to go the way we want it. But it'll certainly go the way that God wants it for us. And that, that is always, of course, the best way. And so it's important that we, that we learn to chew upon God's word and to, to meditate upon the truth day and night. But then, of course, uh, it tells us there that... Uh, I will, he makes me lie down in green pastures. But we have to ask ourselves a question. What, what stops the sheep from lying down? And probably the most obvious and the quickest thing is fear. Because if you jump over a fence and a sheep lying down, you know they're just they're up and they're away. Because they're very easily frightened. And when one goes, they all go. And fear is that which causes us to run away from God. Because fear entered into the Garden of Eden with sin. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing that they did when God came? When Adam heard the voice of God in the garden, what did he do? He ran. Ran away. He couldn't face up to God. And that's what people are doing all the time. People today are running away from God. And all these great buildings of humanism and worldliness and secularism and all these things that people build up to deny God or push God out of the picture is all part of the running away from God. This running away which began at the very beginning. That's what it's about. People say, oh, let's get God, push God out of the workplace. Push God out of society. Push God out of schools. And people think that they can do that. They can't. But they think they can. Why? Because they're running away from God. They might not admit it. They might say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Well, so you might do, but that's exactly what you're doing. By your atheism, you are running away from God. But you know, when God begins to work in our heart, it's a very reverse. We run to him. Because everybody's doing one of, one of two things. Either running to God or running away from God. Everybody in the world is doing one or the other. It's running to God or running away from God. You have to ask yourself the question today, which direction are you going in? Are you running to God or are you running away? It's a, it's a very challenging question. But the thing is this, that when you become a Christian, the sin that caused you before you became a Christian to run away from God is the very thing that causes you 
to run to God. Because before your guilt, and you, you just dismiss things, you try to deny it, you hid, you, that's what Adam tried to do, he tried to hide from God. Well, you know, you can't. It's the one thing you cannot do. There's lots of things in life we cannot do. Well, this is the ultimate. And there's going to come a day when God is going to summon. There's going to be a summons. And every single person is going to have to stand before God and give an account of what we did here in this world, whether good or bad. It's a solemn thing. But when you become a Christian, with your sin, you run to God with it. classic example is the man who wrote this psalm. Remember David when he sinned with Bathsheba and to try and cover his sin, remember what he did? He killed or had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed in order to try and cover his sin. And that, of course, was added sin upon sin upon sin. And David had he was in a backslidden condition for quite some time until Nathan the prophet came and Nathan challenged him with the story, remember, of the man with, the, with the, the two families, with the one little lamb and the man who had the lots of sheep and then pointed the finger at David and said, you're the man. You're that. You're that man. You're the man who had everything and yet you stole what didn't belong to you. And David was just struck in the heart. And you'd think he would run away from God, but no. You go to read Psalm 51. Same man who wrote this wrote Psalm 51. It's a psalm of brokenness. A psalm of absolute repentance. Where he pours out his heart before God because of his sin. Against you, you only have I sinned. In your sight done this ill. And that's what we do. It's not just David who does it. You do it. I do it. Because it's the only thing we can do. It's the only place in the universe that we can go. So it's a great evidence of being a, a follower, being a Christian, is that you go to the Lord uh, with your sin. Now, of course, the sheep enjoy the shepherd. They've come to trust the shepherd. Because you, you see in the wintertime when you come to feed the sheep, if you have sheep, the sheep know you. If you're going to feed them, they know you. If it's somebody else who goes, they won't know. But they know you. Because they know that you feed them and they've come to trust you. And it's, it's true uh, with regard to the Christian as well. That we know who we belong to. And uh, that doesn't mean, of course, that as sheep, that we don't sometimes stray. And that are times that we're restless. But you know, the wonderful thing is that even although we stray, maybe today it's possible somebody is in here today and you're here, which is great, but you're straying. You're not where you once were, and you know it. But you know, the Lord is always willing to take us back. The Lord is far more willing to have us back than we are to get back. And you ask the Lord, Lord, help me to get back with you. I need to get back. I've wondered. And the Lord loves to... To, to bring those who have strayed and to bring them back to himself. And then it tells us, the last thing there is, he leads me beside still water. And again, we have this, this beautiful picture of lying down in the green pastures and, this, and the, 
the water's there, everything that you, you possibly need. And the, this is a wonderful thing. When we have Jesus as our Lord and our shepherd, we have the one who provides for us. We have to trust our life to him. And you know, that is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And you say to yourself, you know, as a Christian, of course I trust the Lord. You do? Of course you do. You trust him with your, with your soul's salvation. But so often, in the everyday things, in the nitty-gritty of life, we don't. We trust other people. We trust ourselves. But we often are, we're scared sometimes of handing everything over to the Lord and saying, Lord, take my life completely. Do with it what you will. Make me a, a shining light in this world for yourself. Because sometimes we're scared of what God will do in us and with us when we pray like that. So sometimes we, we don't, we do trust the Lord, but sometimes we don't trust him all the way. And the Lord wants us to trust him completely and entirely. And so he says here, he leads me beside still water. And of course, we often find in the Bible uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself are pictures of water. Jesus is the water of life. Uh, the, again, the Holy Spirit is pictured as dew falling down and uh, refreshing the ground. And that's what the Lord does. He refreshes. Sometimes, as this island knows, there have been times of real refreshing, what we might term revival, where the Lord comes down and waters in an amazing way, bringing many people into the fold and influencing whole communities. But he is in the business of refreshing his people every day. And you and I know that dew, we can't really see the dew like we see rain, but we can feel the, the effect of the dew. If you leave something out, if you left washing, it was a beautiful day, and you leave the washing out overnight, and you say it'll be, just get it a wee bit extra. We know that, that by, if you go out in the night, it'll have got damp again with the dew. You didn't see any rain falling, no rain fell. But you can feel the, the, the effect, you can feel the grass has got a pretty wee bit damp. And that's often the way the Lord works with us. It's, and no eye can see, it's not like whole communities turning to the Lord. But it's that gentle little work in your life. It is sufficient refreshing for you each and every day. He's watering your soul. Some days he'll pour out on you. Some days you really say to yourself, oh my, I got a blessing today. It wasn't just like the dew, but it was like the rain. Rain or refreshing. And so the Lord is in the business of leading us beside the still waters and providing us with all that we need. And that's what we're doing here today. We've come in order to be fed, in order to worship the King, to give him the honour and glory, because he is our shepherd. I hope today that you're able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with hand and heart? Very important question. Because if not, shepherd is here today 
and he is able to bring you into the fold. If you're not already in the fold, say, Lord, take me into the fold. It's time I came in because the days are flying by and one day the opportunity will be no more. So ask the Lord today to bring you in. Let us pray. Lord our God, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your patience with us. We pray that you will bless us and that you will cause us to, to know your peace and to know your, your leading of us each and every day. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the service tonight and pray your blessing upon Colin Murdo as he will lead it and be with him. And we give thanks, Lord, for bringing him to the island and himself and Joanne and the family. Lord, we ask that you will watch over us all and, and do us good and cleanse us, we pray, from our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to conclude singing in this psalm, Psalm number 23. And we're going to sing from Sing Psalms, Psalm 23, from Sing Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, no want shall I know. He makes me lie down where the green pastures grow. He leads me to rest where the calm waters flow. My wandering steps he brings back to his way, in straight paths of righteousness making me stay. This he has done, his great name to display. Down to the last verse, so surely your covenant, mercy and grace, will follow me closely in all of my ways. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, no one shall Thank you.
grace, mercy and peace of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>